Hello, I'm Mike Fisher, theater writer, critic, and dramaturg. Um, and this is Theater Forward, a twice monthly conversation about theater from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theater in the Midwest and around the world. Welcome to episode 54 of For, uh, Forward Theater's uh, podcast. This week's conversation is not going to go from Madison to Manhattan. We are going to be traveling north by northwest uh, for an exploration of Samuel D. Hunter's uh, plays, Lewiston Clarkston, um, which as we are talking have just been um, opened as Forward Theater's latest um, production. Um, it's uh, it's plays that and we'll maybe talk a little bit about the themes, sort of explore and interrogate uh, all kinds of things about American history and about that expedition. Um, but today we want to focus more on another way in which uh, this has been a voyage of discovery. It has been one for forward uh, in lots of ways. I mean, two plays, which is what uh, Lewiston Clarkston is, two one-act plays that come together to form a whole, um, joined at the hip. So it's sort of us doing plays in rep. Um, and obviously there's this little old thing going on during the last year called a pandemic. And this is forward's first return a year after we were forced to prematurely close um, during rehearsal our, our impending production of the amateurs, our first trip back to the Playhouse stage and theater. And I have to say, before I introduce our guests, um, it, I, there are a lot of things about this incredible production, which anybody listening to this absolutely should see, um, um, that, that, that were awesome. But just seeing actors on stage at Forward Theater's home um, was in and of itself enough for anybody that has listened to any of these podcasts or cares about this theater company. If you don't well up or need a handkerchief for that moment alone, then, then, then there may be something a little bit not fully human about you. Okay, enough of me. I want to introduce our two amazing guests, one of whom I have been waiting for 54 episodes to have in the interviews chair. It's Jen Opoff Gray, one of <laughs> my uh, co-conspirators in crime, artistic director of Forward Theater. She directed Lewiston, uh, the first half of this diptych. And the other is the amazing Jake Penner, my fellow Forward Theater Company advisory company member, an artistic associate at American Players Theater, and one of the smartest and best uh, individuals and writers that I know. And I, I, I really mean that, folks. I feel very lucky to be uh, on, a, on a committee uh, working with Jake. So these are our two directors. We have them here with us. Um, let's go and let's talk about what this unexplored territory was like. I mean, Jen, I'll start with you as our artistic director. You know, just even back before the pandemic, logistically thinking through how we with the way we're structured could do two plays like this how did you decide you could make this even work um well thanks mike it's very fun to be on the other side of the proverbial <laughs> zoom table right now um with you uh uh we read these plays obviously well before the pandemic we actually announced this 2020 to 2021 season um, a few days before we started shutting everything down. And so had planned to do this um, this diptych, as you say, of Lewiston and Clarkston um, before we were dealing with pandemic uh, logistics. Um, but when we first read it, honestly, I didn't think we could do it. And not because it wasn't perfect for our company and beautiful, gorgeous plays, because that was for sure the case. Um, but we, I couldn't see how we could logistically pull this off without it being a tremendously costly endeavor because I was looking at it 
through the lens of you got to do these two plays together. They want to be consumed together. I mean, one of the perks or, you know, silver linings of having it be streamed virtually is that people can choose whether they want to sit and see them both in one sitting or spread them out over two days. You know, those are things that would have been harder to pull off with live production. But um, we knew they wanted to be presented together. Um, and I really was mentally approaching that from the uh, expectation that it would be one director because otherwise we're talking separate rehearsal rooms or extra weeks of rehearsal if it's all one director because they, it's really, there's a lot there. And we're on a typical three and a half weeks from first rehearsal till opening night schedule as a regional theater. And it just seemed um, implausible that there was a way that we could logistically get these plays up without it being a really, really costly uh, undertaking. Um, and I remember we had a, an advisory company meeting to talk about these plays and people were so thrilled with them and so emotional. We had a board member there who had grown up in the part of the country being described in these plays, who was welling up with tears about how moved he was. And it sort of lit this fire of, we've got to figure out a way to do these um, for us. And it was our company manager, Celia Clare, who actually came up with um, the, the secret recipe to, to make it seem feasible. And, um, and, and she was the one who said, you know, Jen, you should direct Lewiston and hire Jake to direct Clarkston. And for those who don't know, Jake and I've had the privilege of working together for a decade now, First, um, you know, uh, he was an actor in several plays that I directed and then, um, you know, uh, came in as an assistant director and really from there became my associate director, completely indispensable artistic thought partner for me and had directed his first solo main stage show for us at Forward the year before we were having all these conversations about Lewis and Clarkston and is clearly a phenomenal director in his own right. And Celia's thought behind the suggestion was that while we are different directors and we do have our own tastes and our own aesthetics, we do speak a common language because of all these projects we've worked on together. And she thought, you know, that's how you do it. Um, you have different directors, but now we could be on the same rehearsal schedule. And of course, when we were planning this all out pre-pandemic, we thought, well, we've already, you know, rented the rehearsal room. We'll just do, you know, a six hour rehearsal early in the day with Lewiston. And then, you know, the Clarkston folks will come in and, and they'll leave and I can hang around for a little bit and watch a little bit of Jake's rehearsal and he can show up a little early for his and watch a little bit of mine. And, um, and that was really, um, that unlocked it for us as something, you know, yes, we were going to need to hire an additional stage manager. Yes, we were having an additional director's fee, but we weren't completely blowing up the schedule and the budget to make this happen. So, um, so that's really, that was the, the genesis of all of this. And, you know, if that answers your question, that, that, that kicked us off, you know, a year and a half ago, thinking about these plays. Well, and, and Jake, so you, like Jen, had read these plays before this decision got made, right? Um, did you two talk together about, I know that, Jen, you were saying Celia was suggesting you do Lewis and Jake do Clarkston, but how did the two of you, or how did the process happen where it, where, because the plays are related, but different, where it was Jake would, who would be directing Clarkston and you directing Lewiston? Yeah, well, so we had, um, I mean, to everything that Jen had been saying, I mean, we, we, we planned on doing this process whereby we would be able to get windows into each other's rehearsal rooms uh, ahead of time, assuming that there wasn't a, you know, communicable disease in the air, uh, which now all of a sudden we've got to work around. So, I mean, 
the, the plays are, you know, they're, they're both written by the same playwright. So they, they feel similar aesthetically, uh, even though they're not, uh, there's no plot points that are overlapping both plays, but there's quite a bit thematically that's in conversation with these two. So, I, I mean, we had that going for us, as Jen mentioned, we've, you know, we're now part of the same directing lineage. I learned from Jen. So even though we have very different tastes and aesthetics and points of view, I, at the end of the day, I think we're, we're coming from the same foundational bedrock of how to do this, of the craft itself. So we end up repeating, I think, a lot of the same uh, 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 mechanisms within the rehearsal room toward a final outcome. Um, but because of the circumstances, my only real window into what was going on in Jen's room and, and vice versa was the 20 minute walk to the parking garage every day after rehearsals. And that was a very valuable 20 minutes because what was happening was Jen was describing some of what was going on in her room and uh, talking about some of the, the processes that her actors were using to get at this material. And I was able to draw parallels between some of what they were doing to what some of the personnel in my room was doing. And so I, I, any response that then I would have in the next day's rehearsal would kind of be both in response to what the actors in my room were doing, but also what Jen had told me was going on in her room. So there was some kind of a spiritual through line happening throughout the whole process that I don't think that I think actually comes across in the final product and the final uh, uh, recording of the uh, of the of the two plays back to back. Uh, I don't think that would be there if it wasn't for that walk to the parking lot every day, Jen. Like, I, I think that that was really an essential piece of this whole thing. It stood in for what we had talked about two years ago as being an essential part of the process. Me coming into your room, you're, you coming into mine. Um, yep. and, the, and the actors being able to interact with, with each other, the two casts. I mean, that was going to make an even stronger sort of um, uh, foundation from, from which to work. Um, but we were very, we were very handicapped in this. Week. <laughs> we were well, and hundred percent, I was learning from the stuff I was hearing from you. I mean, we, it went both ways, those, uh, those garage walks, uh, yeah. and on the really nice days, we would add 20 minutes and walk around the Capitol square on our way to the garage. Um, but yeah, there were, uh, there were several times when I was, you know, hearing what you were working on in, in your room and doing the exact same thing, bringing that back, uh, to how I was approaching things in mind. So we, we really did, um, try to keep that that dialogue going as much as possible despite the the pandemic hangups um our poor casts though um and we we did have a married couple one of whom was in lewiston and one was in clarkston so they got to talk to each other at home uh but otherwise they the two casts did not um they were never in the same room together and uh they had to resort to um leaving post-it note messages for each other in the uh, Overture Center elevator. Uh, <laughs> they were little notes for of the two casts saying hello to each other because that was the only uh, shared space that they had. Um, but but yeah, we just tried to keep talking through all the issues. And we, we did get to be in each other's tech rehearsals a bit. And that, that also helped um, tremendously because we, um, we teched and filmed Lewiston, took a day to change over and air out the theater and then teched and filmed uh, Clarkston. And, and we were able to build those days so that, you know, Jake could be in a lot of my tech and I could be in a lot of his and that helped too. Uh, yeah, so, so tell me about that. I mean, I understand in terms of the, you know, the 50, I, I, I was really hoping this was going to be podcast number 53, which would have lined up with the number of pages in our equity safety plan in order to get <laughs> the equity union for this production. Um, but I understand the, the concept of the two separate bubbles. How was it able to be transcended such that at least in tech, the two of you could at least be together for part of that 
that time. Well, once we were into tech, we were in the Playhouse, which is a significantly larger space than the rehearsal rooms. And we did, you know, the irony is I was saying earlier that one of our strategies for approaching the production this way was that we could just rent the one rehearsal room. Um, and that was the intention all along. And of course, COVID blew that up and we we had two separate rehearsal rooms. Um, we did wind up renting that extra room after all. Um, but because the Playhouse is so large, it did allow for out in the house, we could have a few more people. You know, the, the bubble got ex, it's got expanded, emerged. You know, the design team was the same team for both shows, um, but it was it was really all about minimizing the number of personnel in any space to the to the bare minimum necessary to to do our work. And and of course, even being in each other's uh, texts, it was still you know at a significant distance, and everybody's you know standing far apart, and everyone's got their little station and their masks and and all of that. But um, yeah, it, that, I mean, that's the point at which it felt essential that we be able to be in that room. Were there additional, in addition to these lovely parking lot conversations, and you know, on, on the one time I served as a dramaturg on a forward production, I can vouch, Jen, on the on the walk with you to the parking lot, just how productive <laughs> those conversations are. So I can imagine how you know those twenty minutes expand into something so much bigger. But did you did you two also talk by phone at night, or as you were having ideas about things to sort of uh, supplement the the walks that you were on? I, did we? I honestly don't know that we spoke a whole lot other than maybe through text messaging now and again about some yeah. of what was going on in the room. But I, yeah, I, I, I don't know that we really augmented that, that, that dramaturgical process by a whole lot. Yeah. Not during rehearsals, but in the year leading up to it, yeah. we did all the time. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, one of my, you know, mental, um, you know, saviors during, during this pandemic year is that, you know, once a week or so, you know, Jake would come into Madison to get groceries and would, you know, stop in my neighborhood on his way home. And we would go for a socially distanced walk around uh, my lovely little residential neighborhood and, um, you know, talk through the, the woes of the world, but then frequently talk about our, our thinking about Lewis and Clarkston as we led up to it. So not so much those big in-depth conversations in the, once we were in, we knew what we were there to do. We knew what the stories were we were trying to tell, how we were hoping to tell them. And we were both just, you know, head down, do the work. But, but the, we had tons of conversations before rehearsal started and about the design and the overlaps and the themes and yeah, I mean, and now that you mentioned it, Jen, I, I do remember. The, so one of my practices before going into rehearsals, I was I always like to write the dramaturgical essay about the play that I've directed as though it's already been done. And so, and and the reason for this is that it just helps me specify exactly what it is thematically that I'm that I'm looking to that I'm seeing within the text, and that I'm also looking to achieve within the room. It's almost universally incorrect after the first day of rehearsal, because, you know, naturally I'm now I'm in the room with other voices and they have very different ideas about the thing. And so um, it tends to be the, the amalgamation of those ideas. But, uh, but I do remember us going over that essay one day after our neighborhood walks. And that was, I think maybe that was a seed that got planted uh, both for me and for you, because mm -hmm. now we're sort of, you're, you're seeing what I've been thinking, what I've been chewing on for the last year in a much more detailed way, which, you know, I, I imagine you took and did something oh, yeah. with. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, there's absolutely no question, Jake, that the, which both of your dramaturgical essays are are gorgeous. Um, and Jake, since you've referenced your years in particular, talking about the meaning of being a pioneer and the American love of exploration certainly helped me as I was thinking about my dramaturgical essay for this, for this program. It was really rich. Um, what about, how did rehearsal work with, um, with people, people were masked during, the actors were masked during just about all rehearsals, right? Yeah. So how did that change the way in which the two of you directed? Did it open up for either of you or both of you changes in the way you think about acting itself um, in terms of maybe emphasizing a physicality that you might not see in the same sort of way without uh, without having masks and focusing more on faces? Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, absolutely. I, I so... The very first thing I did on day one of rehearsal in the room is we sort of gathered the cast around socially distanced in, in, in chairs. And I, I started by saying, okay, there's, there's two things that I'm going to be emphasizing in this process. The first is going to be this discussion of the word pioneer and how that applies to the play that we're working on that, that Mike, you alluded to. Um, the second was trust. Uh, I, I have never felt the need to, to, allow for the, a level of trust immediately within a process that I did on Clarkston because my main method of reading an actor is now gone, right? I can't see their face. So I, the very first thing I did was admit to the five people in that room, the, the thing that I had some anxiety over, which is that I, my, my way of reading you at, at, at like my main body language way of reading you is going to be removed from this process right up until the day before we film. And, uh, and they responded in kind. I think they said, you know, they were a little nervous about that as well, because we're having to rely on the other senses in order to really have a sense of what's going on. Um, but the thing that they say is true. When you lose one sense, all of a sudden the other four become strengthened. And that was absolutely what happened within, within the room. Now I'm, I'm not only listening for, for meaning uh, 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 on, on the surface of the words that are being said, I'm also much more in tune to subtext because that's that's finding a way through body language and through you know small gestures and whatnot. Um, you know, I'm listening to the quality of, of people's voices as they're speaking the language that is indicating a certain subtext. And now that you know, I, I'm able to to at least have a, a an understanding of what's going on behind the mask that I can't really see. Um, so that was a three week long process of, of essentially having to read actors in ways that I, I have before, but have never had to put that much emphasis on uh, prior to doing Clarkston and uh, masked and socially distanced. But one of the great byproducts of this process was that finally, finally, the day before we filmed, when the masks came off, uh, the actors were now reacting to stimuli that they had never seen before in the entirety of the process leading up to that point. So they're reacting in real time to something, which is of course the goal for any rehearsal process is to get to a point to where you can do that and then repeat that night after night. Um, so I think if anything, I think if anything, we were helped by it in the end, as frustrating as it was to work inside of uh, up until that point. You know, it's so interesting listening to you describe that, Jake, because my experience was some ways similar, but in some ways different. What What I was really struck by is how little I noticed the masks in rehearsal. Um, and I think honestly, it's because after a year of, of having to direct people through a Zoom screen, having their entire body and their voice in the room and to be able to see people make eye contact and to have overlapping dialogue and to be able to do physical prop comedy bits and all of that, it felt like I suddenly had my whole tool 
box back. And the fact that there was one thing missing from it hardly even registered for me, although there was a funny moment because there's a, a beat where one of my actors is supposed to be silently counting to herself. And at one point in rehearsal, I had to say, it occurs to me, I should just ask you if you're actually moving your lips under your mask so that you will be when we're filming, because I have no idea whether you are or not. But aside from that, I, it really surprised me how little I even noticed it because everything else around it felt so full and, and full of possibility. But then the, the, the other side of that experience for me, um, and you and I've talked about this a million times, Jake, it's so hard, especially when you're in tech and you're getting very close to opening a show as a director, trying to see what you've been working on through fresh eyes and trying mm -hmm. to put yourself in the space of an audience member coming in who doesn't know everything you've talked about in the room for the past month, who doesn't know all of the backstory and, and discussions that have been going on. And it's so hard. I mean, and it's a skill you can build up over time, and but it's but it's almost impossible to do. And you know, the night before we had one day to film Lewiston, and the night before was the first time that the actors started taking their masks off for that final dress rehearsal. And I really felt like I was seeing that play with fresh eyes in a way that I that's never happened to me as a director before. And it was, it allowed me to see the play, I hoped as as the audience might see it in a, in a, in a way that just does not typically happen for me. I'm not saying that I'm going to want to like, you know, make all my actors wear masks going forward in order to achieve that effect. But, um, but I agree with you. I think that there were some ways in which it really benefited this process. Well, maybe not ask actors to wear masks going forward, but I'm really intrigued by, by, by Jake's answer. And I'm wondering if there are things for either of you in terms of your process um, that from what you've had to go through in this experience will change the way you choose when you have the luxury of choice about things uh, and, and how you do things. Will it change the way that you you direct? Yeah, Andrew? yeah. I, I think that this was uh, this was a turning point for me as in my development as a director. I've been at this for going on seven years now, um, but it's really only been very recently that I've been able to trust. Uh, the, what I've been able to accumulate over the last few years, uh, thanks to Jen in part. Um, this was a much slower process than I've, than I've ever done before in getting the piece up on its feet for the very first time. You know, Jen always, Jen always liked to, to build the play as fast as possible, right? Like let's get it on its feet in its rough shape within two days. We're running that thing after three days. I, I always loved that. I always used that as a foundation for my own practice for at least a few years. Um, leading up to Clarkson, but but for some reason, Clarkson felt different. I had an instinct to go at it much, much slower than that. And I think part of that was about the 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 situation that we were in, the masks and, and the fact that I was going to be handicapped at least a little bit in the beginning or so I thought. And so we did not rush through that first, you know, get on its feet pass. I, you know, whereas normally that would have been a three-day process for me, I, it, it was now more like a six or seven day process. And I think I'm going to lean more in that direction going forward, because what it allowed for us to do um, with our small cast was talk about a lot of it in the beginning and fill out a lot of the story that, that Sam, Sam Hunter is alluding to in his script, but he's not quite giving us the details for it. It's sort of an invitation for us to fill out that world so that productions are different from production to production. Um, and so, I mean, this was the first time I didn't really come with come in with a schedule that I thought I was going to stick to. I, I did no pre-blocking of the show before I came in. I had no idea how we were going to time out the the use of 
the props, like the, the props that needed to be stocked on the shelves that are on, on the set, all, all of that needed to be choreographed. And I had, I came in with absolutely no preconceived notions of how that was going to happen. And that was the right thing to do. Um, because I had a cast that needed to, uh, there needed to be no separation between what I was asking them to do and them owning whatever it was that, that they ultimately were going to find by way of rehearsal. I needed for them to self-generate everything um, because I wasn't going to be able to see their faces. Um, and the script itself is so nuanced and so detailed that it, it, any, any presentation or any artifice at all was going to take away from this gorgeous script that is as close to three humans behaving in the world as any I've ever worked on. So um, this was this was about as organic a process as I've ever been been a part of, and it's it's directly result of, of 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 having to work under the conditions that we were that we were having to. I think I would have come in with with an orchestration. I think I would have come in with sheet music to put this thing on its feet if that hadn't been the case. And I'm really glad I didn't because I, I don't ever want to do it that way again. Yeah, it's so interesting because my my experience in some ways was. Um, I don't want to say the opposite, but but very different because the um, the restrictions of what we were allowed to do under the equity safety plan in terms of who could touch what when there was there was a lot about um, you know cross contamination of props and things, which as we we all know is is not really a CDC uh, you know endorsed um, concern, but it, it but it is a big element of what's required by the union, and so. Um, I had to come in with an extremely explicit plan of how people were or were not touching things and, and how we were stopping and starting. And um, I think just, you know, this is, this is one of the great skills and I've, I've loved watching um, you develop such a good instinct with this, Jake, of, of even before the first rehearsal starts, recognizing what your, what your actors are gonna need in a process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I looked at, at, at my cast and said, they need to know how safe this is mm -hmm. in order to then relax into, into doing the work. So for our room, you know, we did stick with a, a pretty precise, let's get it, let's get it blocked out roughly so that everybody knows these are all the different ways that we're making this safe and structured and, um, uh, and careful for your, for your own protection. And now that everybody can see the parameters of that and go, Oh, I I'm, this isn't a risky situation that I'm in. I could see all three of them just kind of <sighs> relax and then start doing the, the really big, beautiful character work. And um, it, so it, it, it was one of the things that delighted me watching the final production of this is that, you know, again, we, we speak a similar language as directors. We, you know, we have a lot of foundational, um, uh, learning in common, but but we are different directors. And I knew throughout the process from our conversations that that at many points in the process we were approaching our 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 work differently and approaching the story. The filming was done in very different ways for the two shows. But when you watch them, I go, "Yep, these are these are two halves of a whole, and and they are different, but they are also the same, and they belong together." And it's. I love seeing that the, the differences in our processes still brought us to the place that we wanted yeah. to get to. And I love yeah. that. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a testament to the strength of the writing, right? I mean, we took mm -hmm. two different paths up the mountain. We ended in the same summit. I mean, it, so <laughs> it's, it, 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 yeah, 
I, kudos to Sam. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I love, I love the metaphor you just used because it's a, it's a metaphor about exploration, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, climbing a mountain or whatever and, and listening to the two of you talk, what I'm hearing is, is two people who are trying to figure out how much of this route forward toward wherever is going to be something that is charted in advance and how much of it are we going to have to leave to the process of discovery? I mean, that's Lewis and Clark. That's also a huge theme in, in, in these plays. Um, let me ask you in relation to that, how has, did the whole process of doing this in the wake of the pandemic or the twin pandemics, if you like, I mean, we're dealing with two right, right, right now in, in the wake of George Floyd. Did that change the way in which you thought about the themes in the play? Did it change the way in which you approached the play? Did it change what it was like to be in the room, um, to be working within the context of those two things hanging over our heads? I mean, I'll just say that such an enormous part of both of these plays is about um, connection and um and intimacy and not intimacy physically so much as emotionally um, and, and letting someone in sharing yourself with someone else. And um, you know, it's not that I think those themes would have been any less prominent or, or delicately handled if the pandemic hadn't happened, but my God did these circumstances heighten that every, every touch, every moment of, of physical proximity to each other um, had really layers upon layers of extra meaning now. Um, the decision to interact with someone, to be intimate with someone is, 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 is just so different. I mean, I feel like, you know, I open the newspaper or open a website and, and right now it's everything everybody is talking and thinking about is how, how are we going to be as we start to emerge into a vaccinated world and our, have we forgotten how to be together and sort of feeling the tentativeness of human connection in a way that we probably haven't in a while. And so these plays really came at a kind of remarkable time, I think, uh, in the ways they show how scary it can be to try to connect with someone else. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that's where you arrived at, Jen, because that, that certainly was where I ended up, you know, as we were getting into rehearsal a year into the pandemic, I went back and I rewatched the interview that we did on, um, on Facebook about seven, eight months ago about these plays. And I, I, I laughed at what I said. I was like, Oh, that's what Jake a year ago thought this play was about. But now given the circumstances that we're in, I, I, I zeroed in almost completely to, to go back to the word that, that idea of pioneers. I, I think that, that Clarkston at least is about stepping into the unknown. Um, you know, I know that Sam, Sam talks a lot about legacy and I think that's true. I think that's all over the place within the play. And, and we were certainly experimenting with it in, in our room, but more than anything, I was, I was seeing three characters who all in their own unique ways were at the precipice of walking into something that they've never seen before, that they've never fully understood before. Um, and they have no clue how to live there. I mean, we've got one of these characters who is, who is literally standing at the, at the front of, of the undiscovered country. I mean, he, he's, and he's having to think about death 50 years before he should. Um, and then you've got two people who are, who it's always been them against the world, their family. Um, and they probably shouldn't be anymore. And so what is it going to mean for both of their identities to move forward in the world and in their lives, not, not having each other anymore. And so um, all three of these characters are, are, are wrestling with a new reality on the other side of this story. 
Um, I, I can't think of a more apt metaphor for what we're dealing with right now. Yeah, it, it, it's, um, you know, again, and this this goes to your, your program essay, talking about exploration tickling our fancy. And it is something about being an American that that makes you want to sort of reach out and, and try and figure this out. And, and we are all trying to do that right now. I, I wouldn't have thought of these plays in that context when, um, you know, when we chose them. But that's certainly certainly where we are. Um, a question about this is also sort of a journey forward toward us, toward being able to, again, do full plays in the playhouse. Um, Jen, I think it was you said you're going to absolutely experience this as, as watching a play, even though it is filmed. Uh, and so a question about that. I mean, both of you in the last year have spent an extraordinary amount of time, both at American Players Theater and, and, and Forward, you know, working through productions that involve Zoom, that involved green screens. Um, and now you're dealing with with what is on stage, but is still filmed with a four camera shoot. What makes this for people who are curious? What makes this a play rather than a film? Oh, uh, that's it's such a hard question because I think we're still figuring it out. And and again, I think Jake and I probably had some different ideas of how how to get at it in. Um, in the, in a really compressed tech process. But again, I think we ended up at the same place because we started from the same place, which is that we wanted people to feel like they were watching a play. And um, for me, it was just working with a really good videographer and being really clear that my number one goal was that, that, you know, the actors and designers were, were doing their best work and then he was capturing it as effectively as he could. Um, you know, equity actually requires, among other things, that that you know, um, to to do a filmed version of a play on an equity contract, you're, you you know, you kind of need to run it like a play, and film it. Um, it's not about okay, now it, it, you don't say okay, now I'm going to do this three line thing from this angle. Okay, now we're going to move the cameras and we're going to do it from this other angle. You know that that the actors are up there and they're performing and and you're capturing it. And we certainly captured it multiple both plays multiple times and you know we would move the cameras around between scenes or between you know run-throughs or what have you and 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 have the ability to edit it um you know we wanted it to feel like you're watching a play we didn't want it to feel like you're watching a play from the worst seat in the house which is typically where we would take our archival videos with mm -hmm. you know a single camera mounted at the back of the theater and that's just to capture it for posterity we wanted it to feel like you're watching from a really good seat and that involves there's some close-ups and there's some switching of angles to make sure that whatever's happening on the stage, you can see it well and you can capture the important storytelling beats. But um, but yeah, just the, the the bottom line, the mantra, you know, the, to our design teams, the mantra to the videographer, the mantra to the actors, and then my mantra to myself that I kept repeating is just, it's a play. We're performing it on our stage and we are gonna do our best make our best effort to capture it well. But it's a play, we're not making a movie. Yeah. Jake, anything you wanna? No, I mean, I think I think that sums it up pretty pretty nicely. I, I knew that, I knew the last thing I wanted to do was carve it up into, you know, we're, we're gonna shoot this close up from this setup and then we're gonna move and shoot this shoot this two shot from this setup. It just, it wasn't, it was gonna lose the thing that that I go to the theater for versus turning on the TV or, or, or flipping on a movie. Um, uh, there had to be an element of danger 
in, in this thing for it, it, sort of a meta, meta element of danger, right? They, at any point, these actors could drop a line. At any point, something could go wrong. A prop, prop might roll across the stage the wrong direction that it's supposed to. I mean, that to me is what makes theater exciting, the fact that it's not perfect. So when you watch an episode of Mad Men, a show that I love, and it is crystal clear and perfect, I, I mean, that produces one effect in you as the viewer. And then when you go to the Playhouse to watch, uh, uh, you know, something like, um, something like any of the plays that we've done over the years. I mean, what's so great about that, not just, uh, uh, you know, apart from sitting in, in a room with 200 other people is that you, you don't know what's going to happen. And it's that, that sense that you don't know what's going to happen that produces a different, slightly different product night to night. Um, and that to me is, is what we needed to figure out how to preserve when capturing this thing for, for, for four cameras. And I think we did it. I, th I think it still feels like watching a play to me. Um, well, that's a you know not not to disagree with one of one of my guests, but but this this production, these productions, I guess if you uh, uh, if you want to say it that way, are as close to perfect um, <laughs> in terms of the way in which they stage these plays as I can imagine. I mean, from a playwright that I dearly love, that everybody in this company I think thinks very very highly of, um, and 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 you did it. But there are also plays about imperfection. Um, and I think you captured that both of you so well. So congratulations. Um, I mean, I'm sure you're feeling great. Uh, we're recording this on the Monday after opening weekend. Um, and if you, you probably feel 10 times greater than I do, and I feel pretty damn great and very <laughs> proud of being part of a company that was able to stage, uh, stage these two productions. So I, Thanks, I think Mike. that will um, you, wrap. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is another episode of Theater Forward, folks. A conversation about theater in Wisconsin, the Midwest, and America. I'm Mike Fisher. Our podcast is produced today, as always, by Scott Hayden. And you can follow us or share your thoughts on Facebook or Twitter at Theater Forward, spelled, as always, with an E-R. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might be. And make sure you leave us a perfect stellar <laughs> five-star review. We're grateful to have you listening, and we'll be back soon with another episode of Theater Forward.